Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, good morning, everybody. What's left of it? There's just a few minutes left. But anyway, good morning. It's so great to see you guys. Before I dive into the new series, The Purpose of Christmas, and this first message in the series, I want to give you some exciting, really cool news from um, The Big Give 2022. When it all was tallied up, the total that you guys give, God moved on your hearts, it was $120,000. Woo! Just to be clear, as I said all the way through the series, we're giving all of that away. That, every dime of that is going away to the organizations we talked about, but shh, don't tell them yet. This is a secret. I mean, like, we want to surprise them, and we're hoping to be able to share maybe some videos or something with you guys um, and uh, be able to show you kind of how that unfolds and the, the, the impact that it makes. So thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for giving. Thank you for praying for it. It's just been amazing. So that is like double our biggest we've ever had before COVID. Anyway, it's incredible. So we're thankful to God for him, what he's done through us. So without further ado, let's <clears throat> dive into our message this morning. Um, and as we get started, I want to just say that the first purpose of Christmas, I think for most of us, when we come together at Christmas time, it's to remember. It's to remember the stories of our family, to remember the things that have gone before us. Sometimes we like to get out pictures that we have evidence of some of the funny stuff, or it's videos. I don't know if your family's like, our girls love to watch the old videos from when they were little and the things they said and the crazy things they did and watch them over and over. Um, <clears throat> another way that this has kind of lived out in our family, in the Lewis family, is that they like to hear stories from time to time of my father who passed away in 02 from cancer. They never really got to know him. Um, they call my dad Papa uh, because that's uh, the name that he had right before he passed away. And so uh, that the grandkids started calling him. And, but it's really cool that they have gotten to know Papa through the stories that Leslie and I have shared with them. But it's so powerful as I've seen this unfold that we all gain great significance from being a part of a, a grander story, a bigger story. And that's really part of the power and purpose, I believe, of the Christmas story, of us pausing every year <clears throat> and talk about what is actually at the heart of Christmas. Who, who, who is this Christ at the middle of Christmas? And what is, what is it that had happened there when he was born? What, what transpired? And what were all the things that happened before? Like the context of this story, this history, is what gives it so much power. And that's what I want us to talk about today and, and to think about together because I really believe that in looking at the power of the first Christmas, that whatever it is you're facing this Christmas, it will help give you power and God will help give strength to you and to your faith regardless of what you're facing right now. And here's something that's become painfully, like I've become painfully aware the older I get. And that is we're all prone to forget. Anybody here ever like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot that. I'm sorry, you're my child, but I can't remember exactly which name goes with you right now. Um, that's happened to me before, and I really get in trouble when I call him the dog's name. That is really bad. 
Doesn't happen often, but occasionally. So here's where I want us to start today. We are all prone to forget, yet our faith is strengthened when we remember. Now you look at the whole Old Testament. There was all these festivals and there were these gatherings and celebrations and what was God doing there? Every one of those, he was trying to help Israel, his people, his nation, to not forget. He wanted them to remember. It was me that rescued you out of Egypt. I was the one that caused the, the, the exodus. It wasn't good political strategy. It was a miracle. I want you to remember. And when you remember, it strengthens your faith for right now. And this has great power for us right now in December 2022. And this is uh, something I want us to take a look at today as we kind of look at the context of this first Christmas and the powerful history that came before it. And when we see the, the promises and the prophecies that God gave, I mean hundreds of years before, and how they all came to pass in such a beautiful way. We're not going to look at all of them. We don't have time to do that today, but we're going to look at some of them. And, but I, I, my, my encouragement for you today is that as you look at these, I hope that it will begin to bolster and strengthen your faith today by you remembering. It's going to create strength in you and in your faith today. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to start with the first book of the New Testament, the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1. But before we dive into that, let me just give you a quick backstory on Matthew. Matthew was a Jewish man, grew up in a Jewish home, but he worked for the Roman government. He was a tax collector, and which meant that his fellow countrymen and women hated him like with a passion because he was working for the enemy. He was like a traitor to them. Yet, when he became a follower of Jesus Christ... His passion was to see his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters come to faith in the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So when he wrote, when he penned out his gospel, his account of the life of Jesus, he was writing it to a Jewish audience. This becomes very important when you start to look at what did he bring up and what questions was he trying to answer. He was thinking about a Jewish mind. So with that in mind, let's dive into verse 1. This is how the New Testament begins. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the, let's say it together, the Messiah. Now, some of your translations will say the Christ. Those are synonymous. They are the same exact word. This one is coming from a Hebrew root. Christ comes from the Greek root, and they both mean the anointed one of God. This is the prophesied about fulfillment of God's promise to planet Earth to bring his kingdom through his king, God in the flesh, the exact representation of God and who he is. Paul writes to the Colossian church, chapter one, that this Jesus is exactly God. He's just wrapped in flesh, right? And this is what he's talking about here. And I think this is important to point out, that Christ isn't Jesus' last name. A lot of people think that, right? That it's his title, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And this is what the very first and most important thing that, that Matthew's trying to accomplish with his gospel is to show you why. Here's all of the historical evidence to back up this claim. And first of all, he starts by saying, son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, 
Why did he start with those two men? Because both of those two men, he knew, again, in a Jewish mind, the first question that they're going to ask if you say to them, hey, we found the Messiah, we found the Christ, they're going to say, is he a direct descendant of David? Now, why would they say that? Because of the prophecy of the Old Testament. When we go all the way back to Isaiah, the prophet, mouthpiece, spokesman for God in the Old Testament, by the way, 700 years before Jesus was born on earth, God speaks this through Isaiah, okay? I mean, just to put that into perspective, that's almost three times longer than we have been a nation, the USA, okay? This is a long, long time that they've been waiting for the fulfillment. But here's what God says through Isaiah. He says one of the, <clears throat> he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about him coming. He says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is him saying it will be eternal. He will reign on, let's say it together, reign on whose throne? David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This is not a temporal kingdom. This is not an, a human kingdom. This is not an earthly kingdom. This is a heavenly, eternal, spiritual kingdom that will never end. And how is this going to be established? He ends by saying, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This will not come by the cleverness of human beings. It will come by the act of Almighty God. This will be a miracle that people will struggle with and they will have a hard time believing it's because it's going to be so unbelievably like divine. There's no way it could happen outside of God's intervention. And then, 600 years before Jesus was born, the next prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, God speaks through him, and here's what he says, chapter 23, verse 5, Jeremiah, he says, in the days that are coming, the days that are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for who? David, again, he's talking about his line, his lineage, his, his, his descendants, a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. That he's going, to, he's going to come and bring a kingdom to earth that will never end, and it will be a righteous, just, reigning with wisdom. This is the kind of kingdom. He will be a heavenly king and not an earthly king. And that this is part of the reason why the followers of Jesus struggled so much. They wanted so bad for him to set up an earthly kingdom, which means, come on, Jesus, where's your military? Where, where are you, when are you going to drop the hammer on these Romans and show them who's boss, right? And Jesus came to say, no, I'm going to set up a kingdom in your heart that will transcend all this human principalities and ruler systems that you see around you. This is one that will be built in such a way that will forever live and can exist in any place anywhere someone's willing to place faith in me I will be there with them and my kingdom will always exist wherever the will the effective will of God is being done there the kingdom of God will be 
And Jesus came to bring this kind of kingdom. And part of the reason that, or part of the way that Matthew was proving this is by showing his connection with David. But then he shifts gears and says he's also going to be a son of Abram, or Abraham, which is his covenant name. And why would he say that? Because, as all the Jewish people of that time would know, that this also would be a part of proving Jesus' Messiahship, that he is connected with with Abraham because God had given a promise through Abraham. If you go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12 and the first couple of verses, this is where God calls Abram at the time, later to be known as Abraham, calls him out and says, if you will leave your land, your people, your household, in other words, your family, and you will come and follow me, I am going to bless you. And I'm gonna bless you in ways that you could never fathom and I'm going to bless you in a, in a ripple effect way that will last throughout humanity. For as long as there are people, they'll be talking about you. We're talking about him right now, thousands of years later. But here's what, let me kind of give you a summary of Genesis 12, a couple of verses, first couple of verses. God says to him, he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And at the time, Abraham and Sarah, they were barren. They couldn't even have kids. So he's kind of going, all right, God, if you say so, I don't know how in the world that's going to happen, right? And then it goes on to say, God says, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, how on earth did God intend to accomplish such a task? The way the people understood this, and it was rightly understood this way, that this was going to happen through the Messiah. This was going to come through God's anointed one that was going to come to earth. Now, for the next 15 verses in Matthew chapter 1, from verses 2 down to like um, 17, this is exactly what Matthew begins to do. He is giving the historical genealogical evidence to connect Jesus with David and then later Abraham to show you here is exactly, I won't go through and read all that. You're welcome to read it on your own. But he's showing you through these generations, this is how Jesus is connected. This is how he is a son of, this is how they would say it, even though he wasn't a direct one generation away son, he was a descendant of these men that were prophesied about and promised that the Messiah would come from them. So he's showing this is in fact how God is doing it. In other words, he's saying to his fellow countrymen, remember what God promised? Well, guess what? He's now fulfilling it right now. It's happening in your lifetime right now. This is huge. This is unbelievable. And he's calling them to have faith and to trust in this. And then he starts to tell them the nitty-gritty or the kind of details of the story. And so by the time we get to verse 18, we're starting to learn, okay, this is the story you're probably more familiar with when it came to the birth of Jesus. Here's how he begins to tell it. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... No, that means sexually, okay? Just wanted to make sure we're clear, all right? She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Goes on to say, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her 
quietly. Now, this always raises some questions like, okay, well, they're engaged, then how are they divorcing now, and why is he breaking up with her? Well, first of all, the reason that Joseph is pushing back and wanting to divorce Mary is because like any man at any age of any time in history, he's struggling with the immaculate conception, okay? Now, let's just... Let's just give Joseph a little break. Think about that conversation, how that's going to go down. Like Mary's coming to Joseph going, hey, sweetie, I got some bad news for you. I mean, it's kind of good news, but I don't know how you're going to take it. But she's, he's like, well, what are you talking about? Well, I'm pregnant, and it's not yours, okay? And he's like, well, of course, because, you know. And she's like, okay, but so here's the good news. The daddy is God. And, oh, and the baby's God, too. And can you imagine what Joseph, I mean, come on, guys, what he would be like, right. This girl has lost her mind. I love you, but you're cuckoo. You're crazy. I don't know what to do with this information. You know, like she's never lied to me before, and she starts with this one? Wow. Quite a whopper right out of the gate. I mean, that's, well, my gosh, I don't know what to do with that. So he's struggling, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, because... He, he's a man, and we're, as we're told, he's faithful to the law, which is, it means he's very moral, like takes God seriously. He's really trying to live according to God's law, his, his word. And so now he gets this information from her. And, and engagements back then, unlike today, were very much like a marriage. It required a divorce decree to be able to break it off. So he's thinking about, what am I going to do? And, and I'm living in this Galilean community where I know all these people, and they're going to talk about me behind my back, and they're going to accuse me like, that Joseph, you know, he's like an idiot. He's marrying her anyway. And, and so he's trying to think, what should I do? Because there's a concession in the Old Testament Mosaic law that you can go ahead and get married. It doesn't seem to be a real wise thing to do. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it talks about this very circumstance. If, if this were to happen, that the husband, the wife, they could break it off. And he's trying to think about, like, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to move forward knowing that the community is probably going to talk about us behind our back. So this is what he's, he's thinking about, like, just like today, I mean, it's just wise advice if you're, you know somebody who's engaged and they say, oh, well, the, you know, the girl wound up pregnant with somebody else's baby. Well, I mean, wisdom would tell you, hey, if this person can't be faithful to you while you're engaged, what makes you think they're suddenly going to be faithful to you once you're married to them, right? And that is good counsel to give somebody unless they're engaged to the Virgin Mary, all right? Which that only happened one time. And I love that God was so generous and merciful and kind and compassionate towards Joseph. Guys, this is really good news because God cut him a huge break. He's like, I get it. You're, you're, there's just a lot of consternation. There's a lot of frustration, a lot of I don't know what to do. So God pays him a visit. Now, how does he do that? In verse 20, we're told how that happens. But after he had considered this, this was like thought about it, prayed about it probably, wondering, I mean, just frustrated over it. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. You see this right here? This, the, the, uh, the angel, once again, is pointing back to a prophecy 
Do not be, let's say it together, do not be afraid. He knew. There's anxiety over this decision. There's fear of what are people going to say? Are we going to be totally ostracized by this entire community? Am I going to even be able to get a job? Can I even support her? I, can I, I mean, there's a lot of questions. I'm sure he had lots of fears. What are my own family going to think? My own friendships are, I'm going to lose. You know for sure that Joseph and Mary lost some friendships over this. Not everybody is going to be like, oh, sure, yeah, God, yeah, that, 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 I believe that, right? No, there was people that probably did not believe it at all. He, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He's confirming what she has said. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? The Lord saves or the Lord is salvation because he will save his people from their sins, including you, Joseph, including Mary, including everybody. He's going to do this. So what was God doing, essentially, through his angel right now? He was just simply getting Joseph to remember all the things he had been taught from the time he was a little tyke and growing up in a Jewish community. All these stories, all these prophecies, all these promises of God saying, and it is all coming to pass. And God is still faithful, and he is still trustworthy, and you can place all your trust and your confidence in God, even though you can't even begin to understand how this is all going to play out. And it's so powerful. So here's what we're told in the next verse here. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him, let's say it together, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So once again, Matthew is showing us this is the fulfillment, even the way in which God chose to do this through Mary. It is a fulfillment of a prophecy. Going back to this quote right here is taken directly from Isaiah, once again, chapter 7, verse 14, that he's saying 700 years ago, God was real explicit about this, and now it's coming to pass that God is with you. And what's beautiful, we see this, this idea of Emmanuel mirrored even in the writings of David all throughout the Psalms, like Psalm 23 that was written by David. That even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Not afraid. Because why? You are with me. Emmanuel. You are right here with me. And this is what helps drive out fear, is to remind yourself you are not alone, that you are attended by God all throughout the day, and that he loves you, and he is with you, and he is faithful, and he is worthy of your trust and your confidence in him. Now, I love this, this sort of why in the road. This is a crossroads that, that, that Joseph comes to. He's got to decide, what am I going to do now with this challenge from the angel? And in verse 24, here's what we're told. We're told, when Joseph woke up, now before we read any more, again, it's why in the road right here. And he could let fear decide for him because clearly fear was present in his heart. I mean, and I think we could all relate. We have all struggled with anxiety, fear, especially in the last two or three years living in the world that we live in. There's been a lot to 
be nervous and concerned over and worried, and we may not call it fear, but it's a form of it, right? It's, it's manifesting itself. You can let fear make the decision for you, or you can step out in faith and say, okay, God, the truth of your promises and the things that you have, the context in which I live today, I come into this earth based on promises that you have already made to your people that I can trust that you're gonna be with me. You are my Emmanuel, and I'm gonna move out in that. It doesn't mean that the fear goes away. Let me tell you, I'm a pastor. I do this full time. I'm a professional Christian, okay? And let me just tell you, when you're stepping out of faith, I'm still terrified. But I'm moving, I'm not letting my body and my emotions take over my decision. They are not my master. God is. Jesus is. And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to make myself go in that direction. And every step I take in that direction, I will feel my faith strengthened and my doubt diminish. It's so powerful that as we remember, our faith is strengthened. And when we take that memory and we put it into action, you see, these words, these promises were never meant to just be information for us to hold on to, but application for us to live out. It's not just more kind of philosophical, um, you know, uh, precepts to hang on to, but it is an um, actionable way to live that we're supposed to live this out. And I love that Joseph here, I know that boy had to still be scared. He had to be. He was still scared. But guess what he did? Joseph woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home and his wife. Do you think he got criticized for that? You better believe it. Absolutely. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Where did he get that name? He didn't come up with it on his own. The angel gave him the name. The Lord saves, remember? And this is what he did. This is what he decided to do. And I hope that today that you will let this story begin to infiltrate your heart and give you courage to take that next step, whatever that is that you need to do. You see, because he remembered, he remembered what God promised and lived in light of that truth that God had given him. He remembered the promise. He remembered what God had done and remembered all the stuff that God had done before him, that God had showed up for Abraham and David and Moses and Joseph and so many others, the other Joseph from the Old Testament is what I mean. <laughs> and he, he remembers this and like God did it for them, he'll do it for me. And this is what's so powerful about remembering, pausing to remember. You see, it's remembering God's promises that filled Joseph with courage and made him brave to step out and say, I'm going to do it anyway, even though I'm scared, even though I've got the anxiety that's it's messing with me right now. But what's amazing is that as you step out, your body, your mind, your emotions will begin to live in light of this new reality, which is reality. You see, God always is trying to help his people to understand how the universe actually works, not the false version that we're sold constantly every single day. But there is an actual way that God created us to live that causes for human flourishing. It makes us joyful. It can create freedom. It can create all of this 
um, spiritual growth and, and advancement and understanding of him if we're willing to trust him. And when we're willing to um, trust God, it does the same thing for us. But when we forget his promises, it diminishes faith. It does just the opposite. So, as we've been talking about over the last several minutes, what is the purpose of Christmas? Christmas simply reminds us that we are, pardon me, that because of what God has done for us, we do not have to be afraid of our next step. And this is where I just really want to ask you to think about what is the next step, spiritually speaking, that God is prompting your heart to take. For some of you, it may be that God is like, there's something new that you've never tried before. I want you to try it. I don't want you to wait till 2023. I want you to do it now, December 2022. I want you to start it. What would that be for you? Is that something that you need to do personally for some of the men in the room? Maybe that, that next step that God is prompting your heart that's a little scary for you because you're not really sure how that's gonna work is that you would take the next step in being a spiritual leader in your home. And maybe it's simply starting by praying for your wife, praying for your kids, and asking God, God, I'm asking you would guide them, you would lead them, but I'm asking you to show me how to love them and serve them better. And moms out there, aunts, grandmas, that you would begin to also do that, that you would begin to pray for your husband, pray for your family, pray for your, the kids, the people in your sphere of influence. How would God want to leverage your life and your experiences and your gifts and talents to be a blessing to those around you? Have you even asked that question in a while? Maybe it's important that you do. Maybe it is that the next step that God wants for you is to begin to live out the ethic of Jesus in your workplace. And maybe that's something that's kind of a radical, a little bit scary idea that you've never done before. And what I mean by the ethic of Jesus, I mean um, Matthew 22, 36 through 40, to love your neighbor as yourself and to love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love God, really love him with all that you've got and ask him, how can I better love you and love the people around you at my workplace? Some, some people, and maybe this is you, like, hey, I, well, I'll do that anywhere but my workplace. <laughs> you don't know my workplace. I'm telling you, God may very well want to do a miracle in your workplace, but it's going to require you to stop being afraid and start trusting him with the next step. Maybe it is, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, it's putting God first in your finances, beginning to to, to tithe and begin to give and to be generous and arrange your finances and your resources in such a way that you do have margin so you can be generous. For so many, they don't have it, and maybe that's the next step. But you need to see here that, that God simply was comforting Joseph through this angel to say, listen, you can trust me. I am gonna do exactly what I said, and that Jesus the Lord saves, I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna bring salvation to you. And you can, don't be afraid anymore, you can take her home, Mary home, to be your wife. It doesn't mean it's gonna be super easy. It doesn't mean you're not gonna have any conflict. It doesn't mean you're not gonna to have to put out some serious effort. But I will be with you every step along the way. You see, when we take this and put it into our life personally, right now, right here. This means that every day you and I get up out of the bed and we say, instead of the burden, some kind of, oh my gosh, I got so much to do today, to remind yourself, today is a gift. And my friend Jesus, he's gonna go with me through every single bit of it. 
and he has access to every resource I'm going to need. Patience, kindness, ideas. Give us today our daily bread, he taught us to pray. That daily bread represents a lot more than just food. It is everything we're going to need today. It is reminding ourselves every confrontation, every, every conversation I'm going to have with another human being, even the ones that I have a hard time, Jesus is right there. He's going to help me. And I ask him, help me, Jesus. Help me to use the right word. Help me to do this right. Help me to do this in a way that honors you. And it's so powerful. That next step becomes an opportunity for faith to be strengthened. But it only happens when we remember who we are and what we're doing here. And this is what Christmas is all about. It's remembering God's promises is the antidote to our fear and anxiety. That's what it's all about. And if you want to know how to get rid of fear and anxiety, it's not an overnight flip of a switch, but it is a slow over time going, I'm going to take these promises and I'm going to begin to not just head knowledge, but I'm going to start living it. I'm going to start putting it into practice. I'm going to start living it out. And when you do that, it's crazy how the Holy Spirit teaches the rest of your body, your emotions and your physical faculties and everything else how to obey God and how to get in agreement with this is truth. Not that other stuff I used to do. This is truth. This is what really frees me. This is what is really good news. And it's so powerful when we begin to live like that. And for some of you, the next step for you is to simply ask Jesus into your life, to recognize him as the forgiver of sin and the Lord of your life. I love how Paul put it in Romans chapter four. He said this, verses seven and eight. Oh, what joy for those who whose disobedience is, let's say it together, is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Can you say that with confidence, with faith today? Like, is that your prayer? Like, God, thank you. You have forgiven me. You put my sins out of sight. You have cleared me of sin. Praise God, I'm filled with joy. It really is a joyful life that he's called us to, not a burdensome, heavy life of constant, you know, weight pulling you down. This is why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are burdened, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Do what I've done, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is light, my yoke is easy. The way he's called us to. And I just want to invite you to do that today, right now. Whatever that next step is for you, would you be willing to say yes? Would you be willing to say, okay, God, help me remember that you are always with me. You are my Emmanuel. And just like Joseph, I'm still a little scared, but I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna do what you're, you're leading me to do. Would you have the courage? Would you be willing to do that? And what's crazy is that little bit of faith, that little mustard seed that you're giving God, it will grow. It will expand. It will get bigger and more substantial. And one day you wake up and you go, I can't even hardly remember when I used to be too scared to follow God. It's incredible how he'll begin to bolster and support and strengthen as you're obedient and take those steps with him. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Here's the application prayer I'm asking you to pray with me. It's simply just say, Jesus, I put my confidence in you as I take this next step in my faith journey with you. Thank you for helping me to remember your promises. 
Wherever you are in that journey today, would you just be willing to give your yes to the Lord? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you, God, that today is the turning point for somebody who can hear this, maybe online, maybe in person here in the room. But God, you are prompting our heart. It's time to take the next step, to do the next right thing. Follow me. You know God is prompting your heart. It's time to do it. He's made it really clear. Ball's in your court. What are you going to do? Would you just right now, if you can hear my voice online and in person right here, would you just right now, right where you sit, just say, God, I'm giving you my yes for the next step. Whatever that is. Maybe it's the next step in your family, at work, with your finances. Maybe it's the next step in, in, in uh, starting something you've never started before. Just beginning to activate faith and move forward. And maybe God will redirect you as you go. You may, you may find that God is going to open up new ideas and new directions to you, but you've got to start moving forward. Would you just right now say yes? I'm giving my yes to the Lord. Would you just raise your hand if you're giving your yes to the Lord right now? I want to pray for you. Anybody here, I'm giving my yes to the Lord. Thank you for the hands going up all over the floor, some in the balcony. God, I thank you for those who are willing to say yes, God. Yes. Lead me. Guide me. I'm taking that next step with you right now. And God, I pray for those right now that are willing to say, and I want to begin a relationship with you, Jesus. I want that forgiveness of sins. I've, I've never quite had that peace, that joy that comes from knowing I am fully and completely forgiven before God. I'm a child of God. If you know that God is leading you and you want that today, would you just pray this prayer? Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive my sin. I'm trusting that when you died on the cross, that was to pay the penalty for my sin. And that sin is keeping me from you and from the life that you created me to live. Would you please forgive me? And I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life from this moment forward. If you just ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sin and the Lord of your life, would you just slip your hand up right now? I'd love to pray for you. This first time ever, God bless you, ma'am, right here and right back over here. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you right back over here. I see your two hands on this left side. God bless you over there. Anybody else giving their life to Jesus today? Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. It is in the remembering that our faith is strengthened. And help us, God, not to forget. Help us to build into our lives devotion. Build into our week coming together to worship you. It reminds us who you are and who we are. It reminds us of your promises. It reminds us of what is actually true. It is actual reality that we bump our head up against over and over sometimes and we are slow to learn. But may you help us, God, to come to know your word, your truth, your truth that will never pass away. It will never diminish. It will always, always stand. Heaven and earth, you said, would pass away before one iota, one small jot or tittle of the law will pass away. Thank you for that, God. And may we live 
as though it's true, because it is. We pray all this in the incredible name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.